Eddie Rye with another edition of Urban Forum Northwest. We have a number of people we'll be talking with today. It's going to be a condensed program. Uh, I want to start out by uh, introducing the uh, Seattle King County uh, uh, president of the NAACP, Carolyn Riley Payne. In this segment, she and Hayward Evans, co-convener of the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee, will talk about an event that they are co-sponsoring uh, addressing gun violence uh, in not only in th this city and county, but across the country. So I'd like to start with Carolyn Riley Payne. Go right ahead. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me, Eddie. All right. Thank you so very much for having me, Eddie. Um, I'm excited to talk about the uh, celebration that we're going to have on Saturday at the Martin Luther King Memorial Park. It is in commemoration of gun violence, and they will never be forgotten. It's our second annual it will never be forgotten event. And we are honoring the Buffalo Nine, uh, Buffalo Ten, uh, as part of this event in which we are talking about gun violence and what we can do and what we should do and a call for action. So we're excited to have everybody come out, and it's from two to four on Saturday. And I just received a, a draft of a program from Hayward Evans. So Hayward, you want to address uh, uh, the proposed program? Yeah, first, uh, uh, thank you, uh, Eddie, for having me on. And you are co-convener of the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee. And thank you, Madam President of the NAACP, for having me here. This is this is a, truly a call to action. What the NAACP nationally and Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee is calling for sensible gun laws. Everybody knows about the insurrection on June or on on uh, January sixth. Everybody knows about all the killings that have transpired over the past uh, week or so and the thousands of people that have been shot nationally. We're saying enough is enough. It's time for some sensible gun regulations. Why isn't there uh, a, a, what the NAACP nationally is saying that gun violence is a health care issue? This is health related. And so we're saying, why can't the CDC? do some investigation. For the past 20 years, legislation has come before Congress. Congress has done nothing to enact legislation to uh, um, to look at it as a major public health issue. Also, Eddie, you know, you know, like me, they say, what's the number one issue facing our country? It's the white supremacists and what they're doing and the guns that they're receiving. Come on now. And you're telling me there's no universal background check for guns? and they're not being applied na uh, uh, nationally? How can that gentleman, 18 years old, go into a store, buy an assault weapon, and then go out and kill all those young people in Texas? We're saying enough is enough. It's time to enact official leg legislation to ban military assault weapons. Everybody keeps saying that, you know this. Oh, it's about the, the Constitution, and it's about, uh, uh, what is it, uh, the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment was written in the 1700s when they had muskets. They didn't have assault weapons then. You think, you think the, the supposed founding fathers would have allowed this, this to be a bill if, in fact, they had assault weapons? I submit to you they would not have. It's, it's time for a change. And uh, Madam President, uh, from the national office, uh, have they issued any kind of uh, kind of program or principles that they'd like to have the chapters and the branches rather adhere to and support and advocate for? Uh, pretty much uh, what they're saying is that 
we are asking for sensible gun laws, et cetera, the same kinds of things that um, Haywood just mentioned. And there is a movement afoot nationwide to make that happen as the NAACP is in front of the president uh, pushing that bill, trying to get them to, uh, and Congress to get the gun laws signed. It is ridiculous that in this day and age, we are now still dealing with uh, gun violence and uh, all the other things that we're dealing with that the Congress will not move. And that's why we need to um, get active, make sure that when we are uh, voting, we vote for the right people. This has, this, all of this goes back to voting and knowing who you're voting for, a sensible understanding knowledge. Knowledge is power. And uh, this program on Saturday, will be talking about gun violence and what we need to do uh, as an organization, as a group, as a community, as individuals to uh, stop this violence. Only we can stop it. And uh, I also want to indicate that I got an email from Nate Miles and uh, at Mount Zion on Wednesday, June 15th at 6 o'clock p.m. There will be a candlelight vigil in, a, uh, in conjunction with First AME, the Church Council of Greater Seattle, and El Centro de la Raza. So I'm glad to see that, once again, the NAACP is uh, right on point. Hayward, uh, we got about three minutes left. Can you just uh, indicate uh, where the uh, program's going to be and uh, comment on uh, who's going to be involved? Uh, yeah, if I may, thank you, Eddie. Uh, first, the program's going to be on uh, Martin Luther, in Martin Luther King Jr. Civil Rights Memorial Park. 2200 Martin Luther King Jr. Way South, right there in Seattle. And let me get a shout out to the Parks Department. They've done a great job trying to keep up the event. And a shout out to the NAACP for hosting an event that helped clean the park under uh, Mayor Harold's program just recently for, for cleaning up Seattle. If I may, the, and Bruce Harold is the keynote speaker, but what the NAACP is calling for is required universal background checks on all gun sales and transfers. Ban military-style semi-automatic assault guns and military high-capacity ammunition clips. Enact tough new crimes penalties for gun trafficking. And then ban suspects on the terror watch list from purchasing firearms and repeal the current ban and allow the, the Center for Disease Control to research gun violence as a major public health issue. These are things that we need to enact as a law and hold our elected officials accountable for. But again, that's Mayor Bruce Harold this Saturday, two o'clock, Martin Luther King Jr. Park in Seattle. Okay, and so uh, is there any other parts of the program that would be petitions or anything for people to sign? We don't, we will all have our, you know, our voter registration. We'll have our uh, membership. And there will be a petition for uh, for people to sign. Yes. Okay. And so well, uh, I want to thank the uh, the MLK committee also for joining us in this uh, campaign as and this event. And it's more than an event; is a it is a campaign because we we will be putting out a plaque for okay. the uh, Buffalo Nine, so. Okay, well, yeah. Haywood Evans and uh, Madam President, uh, Carolyn Riley Payne, thank y'all very much for what you're doing for the community and organizing. I will be there on Saturday. So thank you very much for participating today. We're gonna go to my next guest now. Uh, if, if I may, you're one, of the, you're one of the speakers. 
Okay, oh, but we are out of time, so I appreciate that. <laughs> but anyway, we have to go now to Reverend Dr. Leslie E. Braxton, senior pastor at New Beginnings Christian Fellowship, who is one of the main organizers of the musical, the Seattle One Seattle musical uh, that will be held at uh, McCall Hall in uh, downtown Seattle. And I don't know if uh, the one of the leading uh, artists, Mr. James Connor, international performer and recording artist, is joining us or not. But Reverend Braxton, go right ahead and set the stage for what people can expect on uh, June 19th at six o'clock at McCall Hall. It's going to be a cultural event, the likes of which has never been seen in the Seattle-Tacoma area. Uh, prior to having grown up here, I'm, I'm, I'm well, of what, uh, well aware of what has come through here, but you have some, uh, some of the top uh, elite artists in the Pacific Northwest combined with national caliber musicians coming together uh, in a show that has been specifically designed for this occasion of the first federal recognition of the Juneteenth holiday, which, as you know, we have celebrated primarily amongst ourselves for the past 157 years, entitled Songs of Black Folk Music of Hope uh, or Resistance and Hope. And it's going to start literally with a presentation and celebration of African rhythmic patterns that were transported across the uh, Atlantic. And then in the context of the pain experience of Black people in an anti-Black culture, how these patterns morphed into first field songs, spirituals, and then broke out into the genres of jazz, uh, gospel, R&B, um, hip hop, and even spoken word. But each one of them, if you could do a DNA test on music, each one of them has in its DNA resistance against the relentless assault of white supremacy on the souls, the psyches, and the, and the worth of black people, um, pushing back on that and validating us and reconstructing us as a people, and then also a source of hope uh, where we were allowed to sing ourselves into the belief that tomorrow can be better than today. Um, and so all of our music, I don't care if it's Harold Melvin in the Blue Notes saying, wake up everybody, the world won't get no better, but if we just let it be, we gotta change this world, just you and me, or whether it's a church hymn saying, my hope is built on nothing less, um, our music has kept us sane. Our music has kept us living in hope, our music has allowed us to bless those who have cursed us and pray for those who uh, say uh, uh, who curse us. And in fact, when you had Chinese students in Tiamat Square stand in front of tanks, they were not singing Chinese folk songs. They were singing the songs of our civil rights marchers. Um, uh, and we shall overcome. So we have provided the soundtrack for struggling people everywhere in this country and abroad. And so what you're going to be seeing is elite talent, naturally gifted, but the best uh, educational training and professional experience. People like Dan Atwater, critically acclaimed to some as being the single greatest and most talented African-American artist in the country today and the founder of the Soulful Symphony in Baltimore. Um, Grammy winning uh, singers like Bridget Bazile, Solomon Howard, uh, and James Conner. And then iconic local people like Robin Henderson and Felicia Curry um, and Martha Nash, along with emerging young artists like young Chandler Williams, Jeanne Perez, uh, and so many others, uh, Bria Manaway, 
Um, it is this. I sat in on a few rehearsals. I promise you, everyone who attends is going to be absolutely blown away. And an added feature of late, we're giving uh, out a couple of Lifetime Achievement Awards that thereafter will be given in the name of this year's recipients. The number one is going to be the Norman Rice Community Development and Public Service Award. And Norm Rice will be there with his son to accept it. There's going to be the Pat Wright Musical Achievement and Performing Arts Award. And that's going to be received in her name by one of her family members with a videotaped acceptance. We have one more award. I'm not going to announce it now because we've got a few glitches to work out. But this thing is bringing the whole community together and celebrating the people who pushed our community forward here in the Pacific Northwest. And were we able to get Mr. Connor to join us? Um, he was supposed to be on. I, I don't know what happened, but you know how artists are. Oh, yeah. um, as long as he's on that stage on June 19th, That's what counts. <laughs> uh, I will be fine uh, with that. But people can go online. They can um, go to uh, the McCall Hall website and scroll down to June 19th. It's, it's free to the public, but you do have to make a reservation. We are now at nearly 2,000 tickets that have been reserved. It seats 2,900. So seats are running out. We still have 11 days to go. Please, ma'am, sir, get your ticket. Do not wait till the last minute thinking they know I'm coming. Uh, once they're gone, they're gone. Um, they will. You can get up to four tickets. They will be sent to your email and then you can print them up um, and, and present them at the door. They'll be scanned or you can show them on your phone. Uh, also, you can go to the New Beginnings Christian Fellowship, our, our website, and the banner will take you uh, to the, um, uh, the Ticketmaster where you can get your tickets. You can also go to the Church Council of Greater Seattle to their website, and then you can uh, go over to the uh, Juneteenth program uh, and, uh, and, and get tickets. So, and you can go to the City of Seattle. Uh, one Seattle, go to the city's website and you will see it uh, uh, there as well. So, uh, and then the flyer is online all over the place. So we invite everyone. And here's what I want to do because Langston Hughes said, if I can see it, I can be it. One, one becomes what one beholds. Any little black, brown child or white child out there who thinks they want to sing a song, do a dance, play an instrument, they need to be there um, to see this world-class talent. I mean, the best the nation has to offer combined with the best in the Northwest to be able to sit and, be and behold that in their impressionable youth when they're dreaming about what they can be and want to be, now's the time to plant those artistic seeds. So if you got a grandchild, niece, nephew, cousin, um, who's moving around the house when the radio come on or the video come on, sit there, plop them and let them just soak in this once in a lifetime uh, event. Hopefully hereafter, annually, we'll be having a world-class presentation of African-American talent in one of our world-class music halls because I'm trying to plant a tree and not pass out apples because if I can plant the tree, Eddie, there'll be apples for generations to come. Reverend Braxton, Really appreciate uh, all the work you're doing. Uh, I guess we'll have to, maybe we can get Mr. Connor after the event or maybe next week. 
We'd like to have him. He's a world-class recording artist, R&B and gospel, and has traveled the world and has been with Universal Studios as a performer since 2009. So we definitely like to have him on. But, sir, I want to thank you very much, and we'll see you again next uh, next, uh, Thursday. And tell Hayward Evans I need him to call me as soon as he gets off of here. Talk to you later. All right. Okay. Because we're going to change things up. We're going to go to, instead of taking a break right now, we're going to go to to Kimmy Jen Rayburn, uh, Kimmy, 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 Kimmy Jen, who is has information also uh, Reverend Baxter. This is out of your neighborhood too, a long time ago. But what is happening at the Clover Park School District with the superintendent and the board member? And the NAACP and Hayward are on the line, so they can hear it, and they are both activists, and they can take action. So go right ahead, Thank now. Thank you. Appreciate any uh, the opportunity here. Hello to everyone. Uh, I am Kimi Irene Ginn. I'll get the name straight here. Kimi Irene Ginn. I am the director for Vibrant Schools. Uh, our organization is about eliminating the educational disparities for students of color, those impacted by poverty in both the Clover Park and Tacoma Public Schools. And currently, uh, we are dealing with a very uh, serious situation in the Clover Park School District. Our superintendent, Superintendent Ron Banner, has filed an official complaint against uh, one of the school board members. It is a racial harassment complaint. That complaint is going to be presented this coming Monday, June 13th, 6 p.m. at the Clover Park School District Administrative Offices. Uh, Where we stand right now as a community organization, as a coalition, we are supporting Superintendent Banner we will be making testimony that states the fact that we have reviewed the document that has been made public record that shows, and I'm going to read so that it's accurate for those of you listening. There is a preponderance more probable than a factual evidence relative to the complaint dated February 22, 2020 of 2022 by Clover Park School District Superintendent Ron Banner alleging discrimination and harassment under Clover Park School District policy number 3207, prohibition of harassment, intimidation, and bullying, plus the policy 5010, non-discrimination and affirmative action under the laws of RCW 28A 300.285-dash harassment, intimidation, and bullying, RCW 28A-dash 642, prohibition of discrimination in public schools, and following also RCW 49610, the law against discrimination and the findings, independent findings says it exists to support the claimant of the superintendent that he has been harassed, discrimination, etc. So because the superintendent, of that, black? the superintendent is African-American, yes, he is black. And so uh, it is very uh, important to understand from your audience, Eddie, that this isn't just lightweight. There has been a full investigation by independent parties to uh, totally review all of Superintendent Banner's uh, situation, his complaints, uh, dates when incidents have happened. Let me just give you an example of uh, some of the things that this this, um, school director has stated that has been uh, discriminatory and talk. He talks about uh, black people being pimps, he talks about cotton picking stuff. Uh, I'm just trying to find exactly where some of these things are stated. But it's very clear that Paul Wagaman has, has been very public and very deliberate in his harassment on, on racial situations against the superintendent. 
And so, uh, again, as our organization that's about eliminating the uh, educational disparities for students of color and those impacted by poverty and having a white school board member who was against the equity policy in, in Clover Park School District, I might add, he was totally against that. Uh, and then he also questioned why he would need to take cultural competency to understand what it means to be a, a culturally competent board member. So he's been in resistance about a lot of things. So in essence, and in summary, one of the reasons I was excited about having this opportunity, if there's anyone in your listening audience that is free to be at the school board meeting on Monday, June 13th at 6 p.m., we ask that you be in attendance because it's important for people of color to be there to support Superintendent Ron Banner in the audience. The school board meeting starts at six, but we're asking you to be there at 5.15 because we would like to fill that auditorium with people who look like me before Paul Wegman's people get in there to represent people who look like him. Paul Wegman, by the way, is a white man. He might, might uh, kind of glean from that. So we wanna make sure we're there in full, full presence and anyone is, um, is entitled to speak. You have three minutes if you want to speak on any of this. Uh, Eddie, I'm more than willing to put out my name if people want to contact me for any further information, they can contact me directly. Go right ahead, man. Yeah, you can You can give me a call on my cell, 253-273-2999. That's probably the best way to, to catch up with me. Send me a text. That's usually the easiest. Again, that number is 253 273 to 999. And I also want to say, because I think it's important, all of the work that Vibrant Schools has been do doing for the last year about getting equity policies into public school setting, i.e. Clover Park and Tacoma Public Schools, we have been successful because we have been able to incorporate community voice in that process. And so I'm proud to say that Tacoma Public School has taken their equity policy to another level. They are now they have instituted a committee called the Equity Policy Review Team. I sit on that to represent community voice and there's other folks from the community as well as district staff, the school board members, the superintendent, et cetera. But what's important about that policy in Tacoma Public Schools is Tacoma Public Schools has not only taken that policy, has just saying it's a document, they're making it a working situation. They are looking at making sure every policy in Tacoma Public Schools is looked at with an equity lens, with language change, with intent change, and making sure that it's equitable, accountable, that it's anti-racist, anti and that it's effective for what we're doing today when we talk about DEI and public education. We're hoping to do the same thing in Clover Park. When I say we, our organization, Vibrant Schools, because we have a model now with Tacoma Public Schools, what they're doing, and they're doing it very well. But we are up against some resistance because we actually have two board members on the Clover Park School District that consistently vote against equity. The other school board member is Dave Anderson, and we're looking at how can we recall him because he's newly elected. But overall, I think the one message that I'd like to share with your audience, Eddie, is one of the things you need to understand is right-wing folks, organizations are trying to take over school boards right now. So what does that mean? That means people of color, we need to get out, not only register to vote, but get your ass to vote. It's all well to, to register to vote, but if you're not actually executing your vote in every single election, I don't care if it's school board, I don't care if it's school levies, if it's current 
state state offices, if it's the mayor's local, don't wait to presidential. I've heard more black people say to me, well, it's not a presidential year. You know what? That's bullshit. You need to vote. Every time there's an opportunity to vote, you need to be voting to make sure we consistently get people into the office that have an equity lens that truly are about making sure that people are treated in an equitable way. Reverend Braxton just talked about, we are totally, totally still fighting that battle of resistance. We can't keep doing this, folks. We, we have got to turn the tables here. And one of our greatest powers is the power to vote. Sister Carolyn talked about it. She's talking about what's coming up there at the Martin Luther King uh, Park. We're gonna be there with registration forms. If you're not registered, get registered to vote. If you are an ex-felon and you think you've lost your voting rights, that's bullshit. You can get your voting rights reestablished. Don't use that as a crutch saying, I don't have my rights. Yes, you do. You need to get re-registered so you have voting power once again. So if nothing more, if y'all are, are getting my message, it's important that we make sure we're registered to vote. We're one of the easiest states. We're not like Georgia. We don't have to stand in the hot sun. We can't have any profanity now. I mean, I know you're emotional and stuff. We can't have any profanity. This is a live well, buddy, I'm sorry, but I am. A, I, a recording. I, I am it's a so live, fired up show. about okay. getting this stuff done. Okay. okay. Well, here's, I'll, here's, I'll, uh, we have to take a break. We're going to come back with Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos. You're welcome all to right, stay on All right, get out here. there and vote. Okay. Vote, vote, vote. Thanks, Eddie. Okay, okay, let's take a break, Eric, and come back with Representative Santos. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress.
Get your daily dose of variety. Alternative Talk, 1150. All right, Eddie Ryback and with Eric's playing the fantastic music. Uh, we've been joined by State Rep- Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos, who is the chair of the House Education Committee. And uh, uh, we have been talking about gun violence and stuff, and we saw what happened in, uh, in the schools, uh, two tragic uh, uh, situations. Actually, it's been more than that. But those babies getting killed by folks that don't need a background check. So Representative Santos... Uh, that was one of the things I was going to ask you first and foremost. Thank you very much for making time to be here first and foremost. But what can what can we do to protect these students and also the educators? Thank you. And f- first of all, Eddie, thank you so much for having me on again, and uh, uh, and very much appreciate uh, your focus on this. It's not just important; it's an essential topic uh and um and of course very timely in a sad sad way um so uh when we talk about uh the safety of our schools um there are a couple of things that i just want to bring uh to your attention because right now um and i understand a lot of parents and a lot of communities are feeling quite vulnerable about sending their children to school what is going to happen um to uh to their to their precious babies um and one of the things that i do want to say is that um the first issue is the wide availability of guns that's the first issue uh but the second issue is um uh what can we uh, as a state do about it? Um, and I want to make that distinction because when we talk about sort of the wide availability of guns, uh, there are some things that this state can still do. But overall, this state has actually, uh, we're among the top 10 of states, as I understand, uh, in terms of having uh, laws and uh, rules that actually really focus on the safety of uh, our schools and the safety of our students. And in order to do, there's there's still more things we can do. Don't get me wrong. Um, There are some other things that we can do, but are they really going to move the needle in terms of protecting our schools and protecting our babies? Um, And I think really there might be one or two, but the big issue is can the federal government actually make the big dent? Um, because there are issues around interstate commerce. I mean, if you have, uh, if you're coming into this state from Texas, you know, you've and you've acquired your uh, weapons legally, um, there's no way for our state to um, go backwards in time and undo that. Uh, so it really is going to take an act of Congress to create some broad, basic uh, weapons um, uh, policies that address the safety of our communities, our schools, and our babies. What we can do in our state with respect to that is um, uh, a couple of things. One, understand what we are trying to do in the way of school safety. Uh 
One is actually protecting our kids, right, from harm. Uh, the other, though, is uh, to uh, understand that the actions that we take uh, themselves could be harmful to our children. And so I want to give you a couple of examples here of what I mean. Um, we, in 2019, passed a bill that was House Bill 1216, which was a significant and major overhaul of our school safety and student well-being laws. Uh, one of the uh, things that uh, that had several component parts, it was uh, in some ways it was omnibus legislation, but it really was trying to take all of the different places in state law where we uh, had laws uh, governing uh, that every school had to have and file a GIS mapping of every classroom uh, with their local law enforcement agency. Separately, in another place of code, we would talk about uh, school resource officers. Uh, in another place in code, we would be talking about the rights of uh, students um, uh, to be uh, not um, uh, restrained. We were trying to get all of these pieces together and say, you know, they do interact with one another. And how are one of the best ways we can make sure that our children and our staff are safe is by making sure all those individual pieces work in concert and not in opposition to one another. Let me give you a quick example. Uh, many schools across the nation. Uh, and even in our state are today as part of the response to uh, the school shooting uh, in Texas uh, are saying we have to have more school resource officers and we have to have the state uh, provide those school resource officers. And I will say as the chair of the education committee, having a school resource officer in your school is a local decision. You really don't want the state to mandate that you have a school resource officer. The other thing is, I think it's important for your audience to understand what is a school resource officer versus what is a school safety officer? Because they are two different things. And that difference is and can be a lethal difference in terms of the safety of our uh, students and our staff. A school resource officer is, in fact, a commissioned law enforcement officer who wears his or her uniform and his or her badge uh, on the school property and carries their commissioned weapon because they are commissioned law enforcement officer. Now, school safety officer on the other, oh, and so the school resource officer comes into the school building through uh, usually a contract be between the school district and the local law enforcement agency. Um, so they are first and foremost and continue to be an employee of the law enforcement agency, not of the school district. They're there under contract. Uh, a school safety officer, on the other hand, is an employee of the district. Now, depending on how a local district has addressed issues of, you know, is that safety officer allowed to carry a weapon, um, you know, that again also becomes a local control thing. One of the bills uh, that we passed in 2019 uh, said we have got to get a handle on the fact that 
uh, having a gun on the property uh, increases the jeopardy for all people who are on the property. And uh, further, school resource officers are not educators and do not have an understanding or training uh, or education around the brain development of children, the social emotional development of children, the differentiation of children who are developing um, uh, with uh, perhaps uh, developmental delays or social emotional needs. Those children are classified as special education students in many of our, or special needs students uh, in many of our school districts. And because of federal law, carry with them some special rights. Does the commission law enforcement officer know this? No. So when they see maybe an 11th grade, big burly student who's, you know, whirling around a baseball bat because they're angry or agitated, their, their reaction may be to handcuff, to restrain, handcuff, and all of that stuff. And when you see the same behavior in a child with special needs, that child may be acting on sort of the underlying behavioral issues and there you cannot treat them the same way. So House Bill 1216 did a major overhaul of our uh, school and uh, safety and student uh, well-being. One of the things that we did, and I wanna get to a bill that we did this year that bears on this. Um, uh, in 1216, we decided we were being overly specific on how many drills that we needed to have to protect our students and our staff uh, against all kinds of uh, un uh, foreseen circumstances, whether it be uh, an earthquake, a wildfire, a tsunami, uh, a uh, 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 an oil spill or some sort of gas leak in the area or an active shooter. We said, okay, enough with the specifics uh, and putting everything down into statute. Instead, we focused on what is the behavior we want our school districts to enforce for both staff and for students? Because that's what we really want is the behavioral response. So we focused instead on saying, there's only three responses. There's shelter in place, there's lockdown, and there's evacuation. Those are the behaviors we want our staff and students to be able to know and respond to quickly, whatever the circumstance might be. Um, that was very helpful, but here's how it was playing out in some of our schools. On the uh, lockdown, when those drills were taking place, some of our school districts and some of our schools were doing active shooter simulations. So the bill that we passed this year said, uh, no, let's, you are no longer going to do active shooter simulations because what we want is the lockdown response. We don't need you to further traumatize our students and our staff, by the way, by simulating an active shooter. And so the legislation that we passed this year says, uh, thou shalt not perform an authentic simulation and that any lockdown activities must be uh, age and developmentally appropriate and trauma informed. I wanna give you one more uh, quick um, example of 
why this is important. Uh, and then I'd love to be able to have a further conversation with the others who are on this uh, call. Uh, but here's why we think what we did is important. In, um, or I think it was earlier this year, every town for gun safety issued a report that's very uh, well researched. And one of the things that they said was, let's start with active shooter simulation drills have no evidence of effectiveness. However, there is evidence of harm to students. So one of the things they were able to trace, and this is across all grade, so kindergarten through 12th grade, you will see differences when you start looking at sort of specific age cohorts, the numbers move around a little bit, but the numbers I'm going to share are overall K through 12. 90 days after an active shooter drill, that's three months after an active shooter drill, students report uh, from a baseline of no, no uh, issues, 23% uh, increase in health concerns, a 22% increase in death concerns. That's a significant increase, but what's even more troubling, in my opinion, and should be troubling to every parent and grandparent within listening of the show, is that in three months after an active shooting drill, students are still exhibiting anxiety and stress 42% above baseline. And 39% are reporting that they're depressed. Representative so that's Santos, yes, I'm sorry. We never have enough time. Uh, we are almost out of time, but I would like I to have you. I don't know if you've been invited to speak at uh, the gun anti-gun rally that's being sponsored by the NAACP and Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee on Saturday at the Martin Luther King Memorial Civil Rights Park from two to four. And uh, also on Wednesday at Mount Zion, the parking lot, there's going to be a candlelight vigil uh, June 15th at 6 p.m., uh, Mount Zion, First AME, uh, Church Council Greater Seattle, and El Soto de la Raza is sponsoring it. So we don't have enough time for everybody to ask questions today, but I want to thank you for taking the time today and hope we see you on Saturday up at the park so you can share some of that wisdom with, with the voters. Okay? So thank you very much. Thank so we you, Eddie, take a break. and I apologize. I'll call you later, uh, Representative Santos. Okay. Thank you very much, everybody. But uh, anyway, we have to take a break. Sorry, Hayward, you have to talk to us Saturday. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.com. 
seattletacoma.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seatacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Life Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Life Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Talk radio that will get you thinking. Alternative Talk 1150. We are turning the love around. I want to thank the city of Seattle's Purchase and Construction Services Office with Liz Alzira in charge, Sound Transit's Office of, of Civil Rights, Diversity and Inclusion with John T. Robinson in charge, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, and me and Rice is the boss. So uh, we have Jamie Elmore now, the founder of the Alopecia Support Group and editor of Ball Life Magazine. Jamie, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you for okay. having me. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, uh, anyway, uh, you got a, a couple of big things coming up. So why don't you just take a minute and uh, talk a bit about the Ball Life Magazine and the Alopecia Support Group. Uh, did you have your, your uh, Melvin with you? I sure do. He's on the line with us. How you doing, Mr. How Melvin Dolberry Jr.? Okay. How you doing, sir? So, uh, don't, we don't have as much time as I'd like to have with y'all, but I'd like to for Jamie to go ahead and kick it off. And then, Mr. Dolberry, if you could uh, just chime in. So go right ahead, Jamie. Awesome. Well, um, coming up next weekend, um, June 17th and June 18th, we will be in Annapolis, Maryland for the Juneteenth Parade. We're looking at about 150-plus ball bosses from across the country that will be joining us in this parade. We'll have our all-white party on June 17th. And then also we'll be releasing um, our first male edition of Vault Life magazine, which will have the amazing Mr. Eddie Rye in the magazine um, on this issue, and that's the first issue of its kind as well. And then coming up um, in, actually in a few weeks when we come back, we'll be coming back on this show, and we'll be releasing and talking about our new book release titled Alopecia History, um, Voices of the Unheard, and I have the um, awesome opportunity of having one of my guest authors, Mr. Melvin Dolberry Jr. from Baltimore, Maryland. He is on the line with us as well, and he's one of the co-authors, and so we're excited about that and but what we're doing. And so, Mr. Dolberry, can you just tell us real quick um, your name and how old you were when you were diagnosed with alopecia and um, how old you are now? All right, no problem. Uh, my, my name is Melvin Dolberry Jr. I'm currently 32 years old. Um, I, I forgot alopecia areata when I was five years old, and I haven't had hair ever since then, so. It's been about 27 years now. 27 years. Wow. And was it was the uh, the process challenging for you? Would you say? 
definitely was challenging. Uh, hard as a kid, of course. You know, today, um, getting bullied and stuff like that is a big is a big concern. Um, I definitely went through my share of it, um, but I overcame everything I've been through, and it definitely made me stronger and a better person I am today. So, definitely helped awesome. me. It definitely was a positive. Definitely was a positive. Great. And was this your first time being an author and writing your story um, in a book format? Yes, this is my first time ever, ever, uh, you know, jumping out. I just jumped out on faith with it, and this is my first time ever writing a book or being a part of anything in that, of that nature. Oh, that is awesome. That is awesome. Mr. Rye, did you have a question for uh, Mr. Yeah, Dolberry? Yeah, I, I wanted to find out. I understand that uh, Mr. Dolberry was a very proficient uh, basketball player. Tell us a little bit about your, that, that, that hoops and Yes, sir. Um, I actually played three years professionally for the for Harlem Ambassadors. It's similar to the Globe Charters. And, uh, so we went to, like, smaller cities rather than the bigger arenas. Um, played a lot of non-charity events. I traveled all over the country. I've uh, been to 48 states um, and seven countries. Um, basically just getting to travel around the world, um, putting on entertaining shows for the communities and the kids and doing school assemblies where I got to share my story, where I talked about overcoming obstacles, pretty much like going through my alopecia journey and stuff like that, and just inspiring kids all over. Um, I, after that, I had the um, short opportunity to go overseas and play in Ecuador as well. Well, that, that, that's a lot of traveling right there. And uh, well, I'm, I'm a member of Jamie Elmore's alopecia support group, so I've been very knowledgeable about it now. I've got to to talk to some people that said, well, you know, if you use uh, something to straighten your hair, that's, cause, that's, that's not alopecia. I said, five-year-old babies, 18-month-old babies don't straighten their hair, but we know what the deal is. But, Jamie, why don't you talk a little bit more about how you were able to support the folks? Because I know I've been around you. I know you get calls from around the world uh, with people with alopecia. Would you share a couple of the stories with our listening audience? Yes, I will. Um, here recently, um, within the last six months, we had the honor of helping two um, of our babies. One young man, he was 10 years old, dealing with bullying, and we were able to get um, have a virtual birthday party for him. And we had people from all over the country chime in, and we had a couple of professional basketball players um, wish him a happy birthday as well. And so kids dealing with that, that bullying is really a challenge, and it really breaks my heart to see that, you know, kids don't understand what other children can be dealing with. And then also a few years ago, we had a young lady that was um, that lived in Paris, Kentucky, and I know you remember Jazzy. She was dealing with bullying as well and contemplating suicide. And we were able to, our organization was able to send her, um, have her and her mother fly up to Seattle with the help of Ezell's famous chicken. They wrote the check and flew her up here, put her up in the hotel. We donated her eyebrows and a wig and basically transformed her life. And she graduated from high school and. She's doing very well right now. And so that's just a few of the stories, but we do so much. We have a um, Barbie campaign as well. We ship Barbies to young girls all over the world as well, dealing with alopecia. And so we're just excited about being able to, to be a support to people and to let them know that they are not alone um, at the end of the day when it comes to alopecia. Now, you also have featured uh, uh, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley on, your, on the front page of the Ball Life magazine as well, right? Yeah, I also yes, noticed that, that you, you, yeah, you were also uh, in the, on a newspaper in Baltimore, and it revealed that you were uh, a, uh, a counselor uh, for uh, Jada Pickett Smith. Uh, so, why don't you? Uh, how how did that come about? Well, I'm not going to say I was a counselor, but I was able to go on her show and to welcome her into 
um, the movement, basically, and let her know that she isn't alone as well. We all know we saw the Oscars event about a month ago and her challenges over the years. And a lot of people didn't realize that she was dealing with alopecia, but she she is. But we are here to support her. And I just have the honor to let her know that I'm here to support her on her journey as well. And that was just a, a, a great a great um, opportunity to be able to be on the um, Red Table Talk, along with about 24 of my alopecia sisters from around the world on that particular day. So that was just um, exciting. And so the big thing that's coming up is the big weekend at Indianapolis. That's going to be the 17th and 18th. And uh, uh, people coming off from all across the country to that event, Jamie? Yes, it's actually in Annapolis. Annapolis, Maryland, and people Annapolis. Okay, Annapolis. Okay, okay I got it right. Okay, <laughs> that's okay. All right. Well, look, uh, uh, Mr. Melvin Dalberry Jr., Jamie. I want to thank both of y'all for being with us today, and uh, we want to keep uh, people posted, especially people that need the support that have a loved one or themselves suffering with uh, alopecia. So, thank y'all very much. We appreciate you. No thank, thank you, you for, for giving us the opportunity. Thank okay. You. And with that, I just want to have about a minute left, but I want to remind folks that uh, Saturday from 2 to 4, Martin Luther King Memorial Park, uh, Hayward Evans is putting together the program right now, Jamie, uh, 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 President Carolyn Riley Payne, uh, and we'll be there with her volunteers that's registering folks to vote, uh, which we need to do no matter what the election is. Uh, Kimmy Jean, I want to thank you for being with us. I appreciate you. Reverend Braxton, appreciate your participation as well. And Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos. So Hayward, I'm going to convince uh, Representative Santos to come over to the event on uh, on Saturday. So uh, that question can be asked and maybe she can have a few words about what the, what the legislature is doing. And Kimmy, I'm going to encourage you to get, I know the Black Collective and the Black Education Strategy Roundtable will be right there supporting you. Absolutely. So, and so we will be doing that from here as well. So I appreciate y'all's time today. And uh, if you got don't have your ticket for the uh, the uh, uh, Juneteenth musical, you I just ordered my four. I just ordered my okay. four. I'm glad yeah. to hear. Okay, then. Well, uh, Eric, uh, once again, I want to thank uh, the, the city of Seattle's Personal Construction Services Office, Sound Transit's Office of uh, Civil Rights, Diversity, and Inclusion, Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office. This has been Eddie Ryan with another edition of Urban Forum Northwest. I want to thank my guests and see y'all soon. Thank you. Thank you.